Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Well, we're going to be continuing our series in the book of Philippians, and we're going to be in chapter 4 this morning. And the title of this message is Mastering the Mindset of Christian Contentment. Mastering the Mindset of Christian Contentment. It's going to be from Philippians 4, verses 8 through 13. Now, it's easy to be content when things are going well in life. But how can you be content when your circumstances get out of control. That's what we're going to talk about today. And I've, I've been practicing this actually, trying to, because three weeks ago, I was told by the Allegheny County Court that I may have a warrant issued for my arrest on March 31st. I'm not joking. That'll get your attention. Mark always told me you want to try to get people's attention at the beginning of a sermon. And that's, that's a true statement. Of course, it was a crime I didn't commit, and I called to tell them this, but they wouldn't hear it. And they said, if I don't pay this fine by March 31st, that I would have a warrant issued for my arrest. So as I'm preaching here today, it's really hard for me to be content because I'm thinking about uniformed authorities coming through those double doors in the back of the room, cuffing me and taking me to jail here while I'm preaching. But hey, you know what? Paul wrote this letter from a jail cell. So I can probably learn a lot from his message today about being content, right? Because I, I have a hard time being content with the threat of going to jail. But Paul was sitting in jail when he wrote this. So let's look at it. Philippians chapter 4. Tim, you look confused. You don't want me to leave you hanging. You want the rest of the story. Okay. All right, so it's true. I was accused of a crime I did not commit recently, and I'm having trouble being content because it's pretty stressful. Uh, back in December, I sold a vehicle to a guy. I put a vehicle on Craigslist. Have you ever put something on Craigslist? If, if you want to meet a lot of really strange people in the world, advertise a vehicle on Craigslist. I think I met most of them. But this guy... Um, came all the way to my house in Bolivar from Pittsburgh to buy my truck, and um, we, uh, well, he didn't have a driver's license, so that was the first thing that made me think that he was a little bit shady. But he came, and his, his girlfriend brought him, and I, we went to the notary to transfer the title, and apparently he had like an ID, so that was able to be done without a driver's license. And I should have taken my plate off my truck before that, but I didn't. And, um, but I said to the guy, I said, hey, Jerome, I'm going to take my plate off of my truck. Um, this is after we transferred the title. Can you just, you know, wait for a minute? And he said, yeah, sure. And I thought, well, he's just looking around like inside the truck. He doesn't have a license. You know, he's waiting for a ride or whatever. And so I, I got my screwdriver and I'm hunkering down behind the truck and trying to take my plate off. And all of a sudden the thing starts up and it peels out and there goes Jerome and my truck and my license plate and flagged him down, but he wouldn't stop. 
So I called the state police and I, I said, hey, I, I want to report this plate stolen because this guy just took my truck with the plate on and I don't want it coming back to my name if anything happens, right? And I got some bad information. They said, well, it's, it's going to be fine. It'll be considered a dead plate. You'll be fine if he goes out and commits crimes in this truck with this plate. It's not going to come back to you. You don't need to file a report. Wrong info. Fast forward to March. I get this summons in the mail to appear in court because somebody under my identity has been committing crimes in my truck. And, you know, they, they wouldn't listen to me. I said, it wasn't me. I was, I'm innocent. But I used to work for the court, and they hear that all the time. So I, I don't know if it's resolved. I tried, but if I get handcuffed and hauled out of here, now you know why. I'll try to be content from my jail cell. I'll be like Paul. I'll write you letters. I'll write sermon letters to you. Anyways, so that's what happened, Tim. So, even if you aren't a fugitive from justice like me, you can benefit from this message, from this passage, because we all go through stressful, unpleasant situations in life that we have a hard time being content in. So, what we're going to do today is I'm going to break this passage up into six mini mindsets. This is all about our mindset. Six mini Christ-oriented mindsets that if we master each one of these six mindsets from this passage, we will have mastered Christian contentment in our lives and we'll be able to get through anything. It'll be like you're, you'll be like, it's, it's really like a superpower when you have Christian contentment because you will be able to get through anything in life, anything that life throws at you. So you'll be like a spiritual avenger. We'll call you Captain Contentment. So... Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at 8 through 13, but let's focus in to begin with on verse 11, because that's where we see this word contentment. Verse 11, Paul says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So what is contentment, actually? What does it mean to be content? We think about how, you know, if I'm sitting on my patio on a warm summer evening with a bowl of ice cream and a cup of coffee, I'm feeling pretty content. But biblically, that's not what he's talking about. That's more like comfort. Contentment is when you have a feeling of, of satisfaction with, with what you have, with your lot in life, with who you are, regardless of your circumstances. And in the context, Paul was talking about suffering a lot. He was talking about going through hard times, difficult circumstances. And that's where contentment really comes out, this virtue of contentment. So the, the uh, Greek concordance, the Strong's Greek concordance that I looked in at this Greek word translated content actually adds a little bit to what we normally think of as like a, just a feeling of, of satisfaction. It says, independent of or detached from external circumstances, contented with one's lot or means. So this word, built into this word translated content, God wants us to understand that this means to, to be detached from or independent of our circumstances. In other words, our joy, 
Our contentment isn't based upon what's going on around us, what kind of situations we're in. It's based on something a lot deeper. And it's kind of like thinking about this made me think of the difference between the words joy and happiness. You know the difference between joy and happiness? Happiness is based on happenstance. Happenstance is what is happening to you. So if I'm on my patio on that warm summer evening eating that bowl of ice cream, that's, that's happening right now and I'm, I'm pretty happy. But if I'm getting beaten like the Apostle Paul or hauled off to jail, that doesn't make me very happy what's happening to me. Joy, though, is different because joy comes from something within. Joy is a is a fruit of the Spirit. It comes from our attachment to Jesus Christ, who is in us. Colossians says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It comes from Jesus Christ in us and everything that comes with Him being united to us, being in us, and us being in Him. That's a deeper, deeper, more intimate thing that, that it, it's just there regardless of what's going on around us. And so contentment is, is very similar to joy in that sense. It's, it's contained in Christ in you. And so the, the Stoics back in first century, the first century Stoicism, this philosophy, talked a lot about this word that we have translated contentment. And, and they talked about it being detached from your circumstances, but they talked about it in more of a, a sense of just being indifferent, like cold indifference, like no emotion whatsoever. You're just stoic. Whatever happens, happens. This is different because this is rooted in Christ and our attachment to Him. So, just so we're all starting off on the same page, that's what Paul's talking about when he's talking about contentment in these verses. Our contentment is contained in Christ and not in our circumstances. So, if we can master what he says in these verses, we will really have something like a spiritual superpower to be able to get through difficult times which we're all going to have in this life to one degree or another. So, let's get into it. The first ingredient in this ancient formula for contentment from Philippians chapter 4 is from verses 8 and 9. And let's get creative. Let's call it, I was going to call it look on the bright side because it, that's kind of what these verses are saying, but more accurately, look on the Christ side. These are all mindset. These are a way of thinking. Let's see what it says. Philippians chapter 4, 8, and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise... Think about these things. Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul's given us uh, the first ingredient here in the recipe for contentment, and he had mastered this. And he's telling them, you've seen this in me. This is the example. Paul thought about these things. If there was anything worthy of praise, anything excellent, anything good, anything honorable. And our minds 
naturally, as humans, at least most of us, are prone to doing the opposite, right? I mean, we, we, we usually look on the dark side of things, not the bright side. Uh, several months ago in a sermon, I, I drew a, a spot on a piece of white paper, and I held it up, and I said, what do you guys see? And everybody said, well, I see a black spot. Well, that's what we tend to see. But that's just a small percentage of this page. The white is so much bigger. There's so much good in our lives through Jesus Christ that he has blessed us with, that he has given to us. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We have eternal life to look forward to. We have a supernatural power working within us. We have so many blessings. And Paul's saying, look at that. Think about that. This word think in verse 8, when he says think about these things, this word think is in the Greek logizomai, and it means to, to meditate upon to roll these things around in your mind and look at them from every different angle. It's sometimes translated consider. Romans 6, when it says consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, that's the same word, logizomai. It's considering, it's, it's meditating on, it's thinking about. In other words, Paul wants us, God wants us, through Paul's example, to fill our minds with these things. Think about these things. Look on the Christ side because it's so easy to be the spec inspector and find the flaws in everything. And it's so easy to look at the problems and, and focus and meditate on what's going bad in life. And when you do that, you become discontent. And that's why this is the first ingredient in the recipe, the formula for contentment. And I like how Paul, he doesn't say, don't think about the bad things, don't think about all the things that are opposite of these things, because it's, he understands, God understands, it's, it's like when I say, don't think of whatever, a pink elephant, you're all thinking of a pink elephant. So he doesn't say, don't think about those things. Instead, he says, do think about these things. And that's the way to not think about those things. So a little psychology going on here but God did it first, and he's right. We need to think about what is good, what is true, what is right, anything that's worthy of praise. And when we fill our minds with those things, we will stop being so discontent all the time, and we will begin to be more content in, in Christ. And really, if you don't know what to think about, I mean, if your life is so bad that you can't even find something. Think about Jesus Christ because he is each one of these things. When Paul says, think about what is true, he is true, he is truth. I am the truth, the way and the life, he said. He is honorable, he is just, he is pure, he is lovely, he is commendable, he is excellent. And he is certainly worthy of praise. And so there's a tip for this first um, mini-mindset. Worthy of praise. Think about, how do you think about things that are worthy of praise? How do you think about Christ? Well, an easy way is just throw in a, a good praise CD that, that, that you can listen to songs about Jesus Christ 
and how praiseworthy he is and then begin to praise him in music, in song. That's an easy way to do it. We have to be intentional to do this because our minds tend to go the other way. So number one, look on the Christ side. Let me throw one more verse that I have in my notes in under that one before we go to the next one. I love this verse. Isaiah 26.3. We're talking about focusing on Christ, thinking about Christ. Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. That's, that's what it means to think about. Lagizomai. Keep your mind stayed on him. And this really has a lot to do, just to tie it in with Mark's message last week, by the way. This is all one letter. So last week when Mark was preaching on verses 6 and 7 and the Apostle Paul was saying that thankfulness with prayer is an essential ingredient in having peace in your heart. Thankfulness. How, what do you have to do to be thankful? Well, you have to think about the things that you're thankful for, the, the thankworthy things. They're similar to the praiseworthy things. And so it's, a, it's just a recalibration of your mental attitude. It's a shift in the way you're thinking. And, uh, and you'll see that's what all of these are. And so if we can master these, each one of these, we, we will be content in every circumstance. So, number one, look on the Christ side. In every circumstance. Number two, from verse 10, lean on God's sovereignty. Lean on God's sovereignty. We need to do this. We need to learn to do this in every situation. This has helped me so much in getting through difficult problems. Just thinking if I have to go to jail, there's probably someone there that God wants me to witness to. You know? But any difficult problem, this is so important. Verse 10 says, by the way, I'm, I'm half joking, though it's a true story, I don't really think I'm going to jail and people are going to come in and arrest me today. But I think it's resolved, just to ease your mind so that some of you look concerned. I think it's resolved. I'm not sure. Verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly now that at length you have, received, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now, let me give you a little background on what the Apostle Paul is talking there about there. About 10 years had passed since he was in Philippi before this. And um, back when he first made it to Philippi, we, we talked about some of this earlier on in the series. Uh, there were a lot of different exciting events that happened. Paul met a woman named Lydia. And... Um, through Lydia and, and, and the, um, the volunteering of the use of her home and through some other circumstances, Paul being beaten and thrown in jail and the Philippian jailer being saved, him and his family, and, and through a number of, of really exciting and some difficult circumstances, this church in Philippi was established. And over that 10-year period... Paul hadn't heard from the Philippians. They, they actually, at the beginning of that period, the church grew very fast and they supported him financially in order for him to have his ministry throughout other parts of the world, throughout Asia. And, but over that 10-year period, after that initial give, financial gift, they didn't support him anymore. And, and Paul knew that it wasn't because they didn't want to. 
It was just because of their circumstances, we see in verse 10, they, they couldn't. They had no opportunity. So Paul describes in some other places in Scripture, he had some very difficult times during that 10-year period. There were many times when he had nothing to eat. He was hungry. He had no shelter. He was shipwrecked. He didn't know what to do at times, didn't know where to go. But Paul didn't panic. He didn't panic. He didn't freak out. He didn't say, God, where are you? What's going on here? Why aren't you supporting me? He had a confident assurance in God's sovereignty. He simply trusted God. Even when he was thrown in jail, when he was beaten, when he was stoned and left for dead, he trusted that God was sovereign over all of these things over his financial needs, and some of us might have financial needs. We need to trust God as Paul did. Some of us might have really difficult circumstances like health problems and you, you don't know what you're going to do. Or maybe you're just in a, in a relational conflict or maybe you're in a situation where you don't know how you're going to get out of this. Trusting in God's sovereignty that we have a God who loves us he cares for you. He's going to get you through it one way or another. And even those who don't make it in this life, because we all eventually die. Everybody does. God is going to even get us through death so that we can have eternal life on the other side of that. God is sovereign over our lives, over his children. And the, the alternative to believing this and to trusting in your mind in this truth, the only alternative I can think of is discontentment. Because if you don't trust in God's providence and His sovereignty and that He's in control, then you're going to be discontent in life. And Paul did that. And we see that throughout this letter. And we see that here that he, he knew that God was in control. Even when your situation seems out of control, God is truly in control. So mastering this mindset of God's sovereignty is an essential step in becoming content in Christ. So look on the Christ side. Lean on God's sovereignty. Verses 11 and 12. Learn to live with little or much. Paul wants us to learn to live in every circumstance. So he says... Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In, every, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So when Paul says, I know how to be brought low, he's saying, I know how to get along with very little in life. He was, he was hungry for many years. He also says, I know how to abound. But I think most of us probably have more trouble with con being content when we have very little. We do need to learn how to live with much and how to live with little because when we have much, when God blesses us with a lot, that can be a distraction. Many times it is. And so we need to learn how to live with much. But the issue of being content often comes when we feel like we don't have enough. 
And in our culture, in our society today, this is pretty common. I think this is pretty common. We have more in our culture than most people had throughout the history of the world. And if you talk to anybody who, who's recently been on the trip to Uganda, uh, where they, they have very little, or, or any other mission trip, or other countries where people have very little, it's interesting. Usually those people are very content. They're very content. But it's a lot of times it's like the more we have, the less content we are. And I think we compare ourselves a lot of times, no matter what level we're at, with whoever has a little bit more. And so we become less content. The more It's just a cycle that builds. And advertising is not helping because any product that's advertised, this is their strategy. They're going to make you feel like you need this thing. And if you don't have it, then you shouldn't be content until you get it. But... This is just a product of the culture. First John chapter 2. I, I don't have this one in my notes, Zach. If you want to find it and project it, that's fine. But I'll read it. First John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, pride, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. And, and I, when you couple that with Colossians 3.2, start to see it become more and more clear, more clear. God says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Set your minds. So when we set our minds on those things in 1 John 2, all the things that are in the world, the, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, everything you see, you want, you want, you want, you feel like you need it, but you don't need it. As a matter of fact, Paul says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, Paul, even though he was in poverty, extreme poverty, he had the attitude, the right attitude. He said, I'm not talking about being in need. Why did he say that? Because he knew that he had everything he needed. He had enough food, he had enough shelter, and he had the most important thing, contentment in Christ Jesus. My, my mom has said to me growing up, she, had all these, she always has these little sayings and I've learned so much from them. Uh, one of her sayings was, Blessed is he who expects nothing, for he will never be disappointed. And that's, that's really true. And that's kind of, I think, the attitude that Paul learned. This is something we have to learn. That's why he said, I have learned to be brought low. In other words, I have learned to live in very humble means. So whether we're abounding or whether we don't feel like we have enough, we need to learn this attitude, and it is an attitude. It is, like all of these things, a way of thinking. And so when we begin to think, I, I need this thing because everybody else has it, red flag should go up. That's going to lead to discontentment. Now, this doesn't mean we can't have good gifts. This doesn't mean we have to all become minimalists and sell everything we have and live in a little 10 by 10 box. We can have good things. But it's our attitude. When our attitude begins to take over and we think we need all of those extra things, that's the enemy of contentment. That will lead to discontentment. And so Paul says, learn to live in whatever circumstances God gives you. Whatever the Lord has given you. And again, this doesn't mean we shouldn't try to get a promotion. We shouldn't try to make more money. We shouldn't try to improve. 
He's not saying that. But when that takes over your mind and you begin to obsess over those things, that's the problem. It's a way of thinking. So set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Here's a good way, maybe a little tip to get started just in this season doing that. Uh, we have Good Friday and Easter coming up. And uh, a great movie um, for those of you who have seen it and like this movie, The Passion of the Christ. I, I think it's a great movie to get our minds back on what is really important and who is really important, Jesus Christ. And so the more we can fill our minds, whether it be through watching a movie, listening to Christian music, and ultimately reading the scriptures, the less we're going to struggle with discontentment in that way. I said at the beginning that the word content has within its definition the idea of detaching from circumstances, being independent from what's going on around you. And so this next mini mindset is detach from your external circumstances. Paul said, again in 11 and 12, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. We need to learn the attitude of, of being independent from those things. Not that we can't enjoy them, but detaching from them in the sense of we don't get our contentment from them. We get our contentment from a person who lives within us, Jesus Christ. That's where our contentment comes from. Detach from those things enjoy them, but ultimately our joy and contentment comes from our attachment to Jesus Christ who is from within. So we have to actively and emotionally transfer that attachment. And a tip for doing this is just, I don't know how else to say it, but keeping one foot in the next life. In other words, when, when God tells us in His Word all of these things that we have in Christ... And many of them, it's like we have it already, but we don't yet experience it. So eternal life, where there's no more pain, no more suffering, you're reunited with your loved ones in Christ. We have that. We have it. And God wants us to look at it like it's, we have it. We're standing in that. Now, we're not experiencing it yet, but in a sense, he wants us to keep one foot in that life. And we have one foot in this world, but that's what it means to detach from the things in this world and set our minds on the things above, the spiritual blessings that we have. The Lord tells us this in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 in a little bit of a different way, but same idea. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen on the earth, but to the things that are unseen. Again, set your mind on those. For the things that are seen are transient. They, they're temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. They last forever. So we have to detach from the temporary things 
and keep one foot in the world that is to come. And this is so helpful to understand when you're, those of you who are suffering, those of you who've lost loved ones, um, those of you who are going through things that are just really, really difficult, difficult circumstances, those things are temporary. They are temporary. And it's difficult to get through them, but the more we can set our mind across the other side of the finish line, when either the Lord relieves us from those things in this life or in the next, the easier those things will be for us. And so that's a mindset that God wants us to have to master this ultimate mindset of Christian contentment. Now you might be thinking, okay, I got that, but you don't understand what I'm going through is so hard, I don't even, I don't know if I can bear it. Like right now, I don't, it's, I can think about that, but what about now? Like what about this thing I'm going through right now? It's so difficult, I don't think I can bear it. This is number five. This tells us how to deal with that. Depend on supernatural strength. Depend on supernatural strength. Now remember, this verse is in the context of everything we've been talking about. This is probably the most tattooed, the most embroidered, the most common verse on a coffee cup that there is. This verse is everywhere. But let's look at it in the context of what we're talking about here today. Because that's how God means it. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Literally, it's I I can be strengthened. I can be strengthened to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The context of this verse is so important. When I when I think of this verse, it often reminds me, and I've mentioned this illustration before, but I think it's so helpful to show us a spiritual truth. I often think of when I was uh, younger, I sometimes, uh, a few times I entered um, powerlifting meets where you see how much weight you can bench press or squat or deadlift. And I, th- it's so weird how they do it. They still do it like this. There's two different kinds of meets. There's regular powerlifting meets and then there's drug-free powerlifting meets. And... <laughs> So I, I don't know what that tells you about the regular meat, but I didn't realize all that then, and I just wanted to go and have fun with my friend. And so the, the closest one to our home was just a, a regular meat. It wasn't a, a drug-free meat. And we walk in, and we thought we were big stuff, you know, just got out of high school, we could lift a lot. And I look around, and there's just it's the, these monsters. These guys are huge. And they're warming up with weights that are like my max. And my friend and I look at each other and we're like, we might as well not even compete. And we later actually got to know some of those guys and found out um, that there was a lot of steroids, steroid use going on at this meet. Now, you can lift weight naturally without steroids, but you can't lift near as much naturally as you can lift supernaturally with steroids. And again, I am not condoning steroids. They're bad for you. They'll kill you. But it's a fact. These guys were, matter of fact, I have a friend that he didn't go to that meet with me, but he did go to some with me in high school. And he actually started using steroids after high school 
And in high school, he was bench pressing like 280 pounds, and he bench pressed over 500 pounds in college after he started taking steroids. Supernatural, unbelievable strength, comes with great health risks. But the point is, these guys could do things that no natural person could do. Well, we have an even greater supernatural, spiritual power that many of us don't even know about Many of us don't realize. Many of us don't utilize. And that's what this verse is talking about. I can do all things through Christ, through him who strengthens me. You might think, I cannot get through this problem. I can't do it. And you know what? That's probably true. You, in and of yourself, naturally can't. But you don't have to do it naturally. You can do it supernaturally. Because you have Christ in you, the hope of glory, and he can strengthen you. Paul says in, uh, I can't remember the verse, but in, somewhere in the book of Colossians, Paul says, I toil with all of my might with his power that he works within me. That's the idea here. We need to tap into his power. And when you're, when you're suffering, when you're going through a circumstance that's extremely difficult... Sometimes it takes a while to access that. One example that I was thinking of was my father-in-law has a pacemaker. And he um, was telling my kids about how it works a couple of weeks ago. And he said something like, when my heart you know, gets to the end of where it can beat rightly or something, that thing kicks in. And, and that's really kind of how this strength that we're talking about works a lot of times. When we get to the end of our rope and we can't do it anymore, Christ will kick in. And having that faith and that trust that he's going to do that, it gives you a hope that will get you through the hard times. I was, a couple years ago, I got really sick and I, my stomach was so sick. It was the sickest I ever was. I have never passed out or fainted in my life. But I was so sick that I couldn't bear it anymore. I'm sitting on my bathroom floor. And I think the last thing I said to my wife before I hit the floor was, and I, and I meant it, I said, I, f- I feel like I'm going to die. And I know men can be dramatic sometimes when it comes to the flu or whatever. And you feel, but I really felt like it. I, I thought for sure I was going to die. And in that moment, I actually thought, I, I need to die or something because I can't take this anymore. I can't bear it. Boom, I hit the floor. I passed out. It's the only time I ever passed out. Next thing I know, I'm riding on an ambulance. She, I think she thought I died. But I look at that as a mercy from God because I truly couldn't take it anymore. And, and he mercifully allowed me to pass out. And in that state, I didn't feel anything. And it's a little bit, I think, like what it's, what it's like. And you may not pass out, but if you wait patiently for the Lord, He will come through one way or another, and He will get you through it. The problem a lot of times is we don't wait. We go to other things. You're going through a hard and stressful time. And what do you go to? I mean, do, you go to do you go to alcohol? Do you go to pills? Do you go to just TV and comfort? What do you go to? And sometimes, you know, 
sometimes there are things that you can go to that are, that are okay and necessary, but the ultimate idea here is we need to ultimately go to the Lord. And He will come through. He will come through for us. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 30 and 31 tell us, Even youths faint, shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This, this verse is really like, you know, I've, I've talked a little bit about this making you into a spiritual avenger, a spiritual superhero. And this is like the, the Hulk, the Incredible Hulk, because Bruce Banner, he has to like get beat down before the Hulk comes out. And, and that's a lot of times what happens to us in order to experience this strength. We have to get beat down, but eventually the Lord will bring the spiritual hulk out. And we, he will get us through whatever it is. And ultimately, if it's death, Jesus Christ defeated death for us so that we can come out of the other side with eternal life. So it's everything. The final mindset, very briefly, before we end, the final mindset comes actually from verse 17. So Mark's going to preach on this the week after Easter, but I, I just wanted to, to, to go ahead a little bit because I think this is an essential mini mindset for us to have to be content. This is the last one. Verse 17 of Philippians 4. Paul, he says, not that I seek the gift. He's talking about how they gave him this gift. And he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit, Philippians. That's my concern, he says. Here's Paul in poverty, going through all kinds of difficulty, and he is more concerned with the well-being of the Philippians than himself. This idea is the idea of cultivating a concern for others. People who are more concerned for others, especially those less fortunate than themselves, they don't have time to be discontent. Because they're trying to help others who are, in, who are worse off. And when you're trying to help someone else who's worse off and your mind's on them, you're going to be thinking, well, I have it, I have it pretty good. It, my situation's not too bad. I've met so many people like that who have that other or, others-oriented mindset, and I never hear them complain. It's when we are so focused on ourselves and our own problems that we can become more discontented very easily. So I'd encourage you, even if you're going through really hard times, to reflect that focus out onto others and try to help others. And really, this is what Jesus Christ did. I, we, we won't read it, but in, in the beginning of Hebrews 12, it tells us how Jesus endured the cross, the, the, the most radical, painful suffering anybody's ever gone through in this life. How did he endure that? He endured it because of the joy set before him. He endured it with joy because he was thinking about you and I. And he was thinking about everyone in the world, how their ultimate destiny apart from him is to burn in hell forever, eternal torment. That's some bad suffering. And Jesus did not want us to have to go through that. So his mind wasn't on himself, oh Lord, why do I have to do all this? It was on us. 
And when we cultivate a concern for others, we're being like Jesus Christ. And that's going to help us. So, I know six is a lot of things to remember, but let's go through them very quickly at the end. The six many mindsets, the six Christ-oriented mindsets that give us this ultimate mindset of Christian contentment are, one, look on the Christ side. The things that are praiseworthy, the things that are good, the things that are excellent, the things that are pure. Number two, lean on God's sovereignty. When your life is out of control, it's not really out of control because he, he has control. He's not going, oh no, what did I do? He has it all in control. Number three, learn to live with little or much, whatever God gives you, but don't look at those things for your contentment. Look inward. Number four, detach from your circumstances. That's the idea of, of, of just attaching to Jesus Christ for your joy, for your peace, for your contentment. Not all the things that aren't going well in your life or the things that are. Number five, depend on supernatural strength. There is, there is so much strength. God is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think according to the power at work within us, the Bible says. And so we need to learn to tap into that. Number six, cultivate a concern for others. These things lead to a mindset that it's just going to help us so much in life. So work on them little by little and let's end by praying that God would help cultivate these mindsets in us. And as we pray, if the band could come up and we'll sing one last song at the end. Father, we thank you for your word. Your, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And it shows us the way in which we should walk in this life, in this dark world. And I pray that you would, by your spirit's power, Bring to our minds the things that you have taught us today in your word as we leave this place and as we go out into our lives and as we suffer and as we face unpleasant circumstances and as we abound in whatever situation you have us in. I pray that you would remind us that our contentment comes from the person of Jesus Christ and all of the blessings that we have in him. Please remind us of these, these things. In Jesus' name, amen.